We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the Men from Odo, and you're listening to episode 38, Staking Your Claim. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me this week. How are you, sir? I am handsome. How are you, David? I am not as handsome today. My hair is a mess. I'm so vain, and I bet I think this song is about me. You just had to go with the hair joke, didn't you? Uh, your hair looks pretty good this week, though. Yeah, both of them. They look great. Thank you. <laughs> How uh, How's your Ixlan week going for you? I know you took a couple days off for the long weekend, or the pseudo weekend, I guess. Yeah, happy Canadian Thanksgiving. Um, I, I would say I've been having a good time. I actually fired up a sealed today and decided to explore the sealed format a little more um, and then did some drafts today. I, I'm still enjoying the format. I don't think we've got like a, a contender for top five draft formats ever on our hands, but I think we've got magic and I enjoy playing it. It's definitely magic and I'm, I'm feeling you on that one. Um, what's your take on... There seems to be a lot of people on Twitter anyway that's saying that like they are struggling with the format and people that I would not expect to struggle with magic formats have a subpar win rate. Um, I think Kenji Numatthanummy was saying uh, on Twitter that he was below 60% win rate, which I think is pretty unusual for him. And we're talking like significantly lo- significantly below. I know myself, I'm fair rate below my average win rate. But um, what's your take on the the difficulty in the format or the challenges that people are facing um when it comes to just playing consistent magic i i've been around 66 percent. i think we mentioned last time i'd had nothing but a string of two ones since then i have had a few three o's and it, it feels good it feels good but the the main the only thing i can guess is that i see people in my chat suggesting that i go for cards sooner than i think it's safe to pick them up like my first two or three picks are trying to figure out what's open and then draft that. And I'm just going to pick solid creatures and solid removal spells and not go for something that's very tribal focused with an early pick, right? Like, I know we're going to talk some about the tribal cards, and some of them are worth going into very early, but I've seen people suggest that I pick River Herald's Boon as an example as early as second pick, right? Like, I pick a Deep Root Warrior out of a mediocre pack and then get past another pack that has... I don't know, something like Pious Interdiction and then the the Kin to Frogs card. I'm like, we're taking the Pious Interdiction. They're like, but that doesn't go in, in the Merfolk deck. It's like, you kind of batten it down a little too quick for me there. So I, you know, I, I don't know what everybody else is doing, but I know that people are suggesting that I kind of commit to a tribe very fast and, and kind of hunker down on it. And I've been trying to avoid doing that so I can sort of figure out what's open and then draft that. It, it's more difficult too, and and like you've got some players that can bat for multiple tribes, and those cards certainly go up, right? Like something like River Herald's Boon kind of locks you into I'm doing Merfolk exclusively, whereas picking a Deep Root Warrior, even though it says Merfolk on it, can still go in any green deck, and it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I feel like um like you know usually it's it's what 
I think it first started, it's like what color is open, then it's what tribe is is open. And now it's again, to me, what color is open um, and really looking for the, like you said, the cards that kind of transcend archetypes. So I'm really looking at the removal spells and solid creatures that are solid on their own as higher picks in pack one. And then once I settle into like a color, you know, I have my main color and I don't quite know what my off color is. Um, then it, then it kind of becomes looking to see what I can get in the tribal synergies if I, if I've got something developing there. So I think, I think I've been looking for tribal synergies in pack two, pack three, especially if I can get like a payoff or like a big payoff. Um, but like, you know, you no know, take for example, like, uh, solid explore creatures, like those green ones, that you, the two and the three drop, you know, those are pretty high picks for me in pack one, because it's like, well, they go in any green deck and I like explore. And just because their merfolk doesn't really change much, but it's like, if I end up there in the Merfolk deck, um, then I can look to get those payoffs in, in pack two, pack three, and kind of stake my claim, uh, you know, force force my hand in, into those colors or into that archetype specifically. So, um, but if I think there's two versions of, of piles of cards, so cards don't really play well together. One of them has a lot of good removal and like a curve and creatures, you know, like a typical magic deck. And the other one, like, got stuck between two archetypes and doesn't really have any good cards like that work well together. And they're short, those good removal spells and good two drops, let's say. Um, and I think obviously the first one is a lot better than the second one in that case. I think you may be onto something there. Like the worst train wrecks I've had are when I, I hedged in on a tribe quickly and then found out that not only is that tribe not open, neither of the colors are, mm-hmm. and I'm six picks in with three good merfolk cards, three kind of medium merfolk cards and it's very obvious that I should be drafting black, red removal and pirates. It's like, ah, can we salvage this? Whereas if I, if I just take the good cards, irregardless of color, and then once I've settled into the colors that I'm playing, then start looking for those synergies where I can get them. I've been far more successful with that. So I I think it is almost identify the colors. Then I start looking for tribal synergies once you're in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, definitely with you on that one and and it's the kind of the approach that i'm trying to take i've i've had i had a train wreck draft the other night um where you know is blue black and it was trying to get as many pirates as possible because pirates and blue black and and you know got stuck halfway between vampires and pirates with a pirate's cutlass and it's like the pirate's cutlass was still good because i could still attach it to a few things by paying the cost um but i was definitely stuck between you know i had like two of those deacons that give vampires plus two plus zero and maybe two other vampires and it's kind of like well these guys are just five threes now instead of you know actually providing any synergy so um getting stuck between two of them is definitely not great which is why you want to pick up those um just overall good cards early mm-hmm. you know i'm with i'm with you on the river herald's boon it's like you know people yell at you people are yelling at me to pick it up in like pack one the other day and it's kind of like you like i it's common so I can probably get more later if I'm the only merfolk drafter or like one of one and a half merfolk drafters, let's say, you know, I'll definitely see at least one you would think. Um, and just drafting a good creature over top of it, ignore the creature type on it in your first five picks, you know, deeper warriors, a really good example of that. I had a deck with three of those guys. I could have had no other merfolk and no other merfolk synergies. And those cards would have been great on their own. Well, see, you have to understand merfolk is the best deck in the format. I thought it was vampires this week. Oh yeah, this week vampires is the best deck in the format. Um, are you thinking if, dinosaurs or pirates next week? Um, I think probably pirates because dinosaurs was like week one, so we've yeah. got to go through all of them before we come back around to the dinosaurs. Okay, but like uh, pirates with like the four threes and pirates cutlass. That's 
probably the big one next week. Okay, I can believe that. So look, I, I'm, look. I'm teasing a little bit here. People always come into my chat and say, what's the best deck in the format? It's like, you know, we do a podcast for an hour and talk about things like this, and I, I can't quite spurt off an answer, but I think all of the decks are viable. You just need to draft the open deck, the one that's getting passed to you. I honestly think is the best deck in the format. I mean, you're not wrong, and I think that when you match up the best deck in every archetype against each other, like it's probably a big game of paper, rock, scissors, and there's not anything that's better than all the rest. Um, you know, the Nutmerfolk deck with infinite plus one plus one counter synergies and Jade Guardians that get one with the wind and fly over top of you. I mean, a, a good aggressive pirate deck or a tempo pirate deck might just run you over. Like it's really tough to to say, right? Mm-hmm. Um but I, I definitely think that where the tiers of deck come into play are the um the, the the really good tribal decks or the really good synergistic decks. I, I almost want to stop calling them tribal decks. I want to start calling them synergistic decks. The really good synergistic decks are going to be a step above. I don't know how big that step is, but like kind of the middling synergistic decks, the ones where not all the cards work to get work well together, but like some of them do. And then you have like the no synergy deck is kind of like a step below that. And then on an outside scale, you have just a pile of good cards, which is somewhere along that spectrum as well. Um, so is, is it like a, a pile of good removal and creatures with no synergy? Can that beat the nut tribal deck? Well, probably. Um, but, you know, once you're in the tribal scale, I think on average, you know, obviously the more synergy you have in your tribal deck, the better that it is. But I don't think you can really compare vampires to merfolk to dinosaurs to pirates. Um, it's really just the quality of the cards in the deck that dictate how good the tribe is. Agreed. Agreed. Powerful cards are powerful. It, who knew that magic has been that way forever? <laughs> right. I mean, we well, we have formats in the past where there's no tribal synergy at all. And like you have to find good cards, right? Corsets are a really good example of that where like there were minor tribal themes, but like most of the time it was just drafting bombs and, and solid cards the whole way down. And we survived. We figured out how to play those formats. Yeah, and I, I think we've got less bombs this time around, which is where those synergy payoffs c- cards come in and that you kind of have to build your own bombs. You know, whether it's a hex-proof dude with a flying enchantment or the deacon giving your, you know, one threes, turning them into actual threats, you kind of have to build your own bombs because we've got less of them this time around. And I, I kind of dig that. that. That is the aspect of this format that I like a good deal compared to the last one and that if we're having a good game of magic, there's very few cards on the level of something like the gods or even some of the other bombs we had in the last set. Like I still have nightmares about glyph keeper. Like you're just not beating that card. And there's, there's not really something on that level of power here. You're, you know, I've never really stopped a thought to think about that, but you're, I think you're correct. Like what's the glory bringer of the set? There's not one. Right. And like, if you think of our devastation, glory bringer was probably on, I mean, once the gods came out, it was probably close to the middle to the bottom edge of like the bombs, the bombiest bombs. Mm-hmm. But like if there's no glory bringer in this set, then like, the, you know, the, the power level is as far as bombs go is pretty low. I think that's where your tribal synergies pay off, right? So like a bomb, when you look at it, like I'm trying to think of a good one here. So the merfolk one is probably the best one. That's the easiest one I can think of. The plus one plus one or the all your creatures with plus one plus one counters can't block. If you put that in like a blue black deck with very limited explore, it's awful. It is just like it's an F compared to a Glorybringer. 
if you put it in a deck where, you know, 19 of your cards are merfolk, and you have things that put plus one, plus one counters on merfolk, and you have a bunch of explorer creatures at the same time, all of a sudden this card is just an A+. It's like you slam it, win the game, potentially. Like, you can set up game states where you just win the game with this card, and if not, you can just pick your opponent slowly over time with your 3-3 Jade Guardian that they can't block uh, until you get, like, something to finish the game off, right? So that's, so that's a very different effect from I'll kill your best dude and hit you in the face for four and I'm going to do it again in another turn if you can't stop me. Exactly. And it's like so it's like less of a it becomes more difficult, I think, to come up with a bomb card or, a, you know, a bomb combination of cards uh, when you're drafting or when you're putting together a sealed pool. You have to be very lucky in your sealed pool to get it. Um, so, like, I think the nut decks don't have these bombs, but they have the payoff cards that you have worked very hard to get in your deck, whether that be through drafting or whether deck construction or whatever you're, you're specifically crafting your deck to do something very powerful eventually, but you can't just slam it down and win on turn five. Um, you have to kind of work your way there. It reminds me a bit. And I also have some thoughts um, actually from my good friend, Martin about why there were better bombs in the other sets that I want to talk about, but it, Briefly, like we talk about build around cards a good bit, and it seems like the set is basically build around the draft, right? It's like, that's exactly what you're doing is that there's not really a lot of bombs. You have to build your own. So when you find yourself with a Deacon of the Anointed and a couple of vampires, it's like, I need to draft more vampires and make sure that this is better than a, you know, hill giant an overcosted hill giant in my deck that can attack as a five three because it's just not going to be good without that so i I think that's exactly what it is is build your own bombs um i I did want to get this point out too like i was trying to kind of wrap my head around why these formats were so different and cycling came to mind as an early reason like i've been finding myself mana screwed more often than i'm used to Right. And we talked about that. And I think it was because of cycling, but I think cycling meant we had to do something else too, because what does cycling do to your decks? It makes it smaller. It it makes it smaller. It also makes it more consistent. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get mana screwed as often because you can cycle away your six drop and hit a land, or you can cycle away your land and find a six drop. So if your decks are getting more consistent, we're taking variants from, from like who's going to win mechanically out of the game and it has to be added back in somewhere, or we're going to end up with a format where the the, the ratios are kind of off, right? Like if I'm the best magic player on the world and you're someone who started last week, you should still have about a 20 or 30% chance to beat me, even if you barely know what you're doing, because that's the way the game works. And if we trimmed that to where you only have a 10% chance now, because I know how to take advantage of cycling and you don't, the game's not going to be fun. So to fix that, they had to add in these, these bombier bombs. And like, after I had a brief chat with Martin and he explained that to me, I was like, I actually like Hour of Devastation more for knowing that and like Ixalan more for knowing that. Like we, we can't have those bombs anymore because the, the randomness is built back into the mana system where it was, kind of supposed to be in the first place. It's just an interesting kind of like look into the game design aspect of, of magic. And I think they actually did that right. I, yeah. I, and I, I don't disagree. Um, like it certainly looked like when you put it like that, I think it was on purpose um, and it makes a lot of sense. There's no conspiracy here, um, but we've had formats before where we've had bomby bombs and no cycling, right? Where, where it was kind of 
variants for not necessarily variance's sake, but I, I think I think one of the reasons why we don't have these bombs is because we have you're looking for the tr- the the synergy payoffs as well, like build your own bombs instead. So I think it's a combination of the two. But um, you're right that that is that is interesting that um, that that we had these bombs in our devastation f- to increase variance. I think if you look carefully at many of the formats in the past that we've called bomb heavy, you'll notice that there was also a mechanic in there somewhere to reduce variance. Fate Reforged comes to mind, and Megamorph was in that set. Morph, so yeah. if if I can't cast my six drop, no problem. I'll just morph it and flip it later. So Morph was a variance-reducing format. Like, it, it left you mana screwed less often and gave you a place to sink your mana. So again, they ramped up the bombs there to, to kind of make the make sure that variance is still included in this equation. And like even even in the past where I think back, the pendulum can swing some, but I think it maybe swings five, 10%. I think it took a much bigger swing here because we're coming from a set that did have bomby bombs to account for an additional mechanic. And now we're, we're ripping that apart. Uh, and it, it feels like we're playing low powered limited. And some people have, have said that it's similar to a core set, uh, but core sets usually have better bombs than this. They'll have dragons or something like that that can just win you the game. And I kind of find it a bit refreshing to just be like, I'm going to take the good cards. Eventually, we'll get some cool little synergy things going, and we're going to play some magic. And nothing super swingy or super crazy, but I've I've had some great games in Ixalan Limited. I've I've had some fantastic games in this format. Um, the drafts have been train wrecky at times. Um, but like, maybe I need to take a step back and reevaluate what I score a draft, you know, like, I know you don't like to score drafts, but like, you know, I'll look at a deck and even if I don't say it out loud, I'll say myself, well, you know, I feel good about this deck or I don't feel good about this deck. Um, you know, did I draft my seat fine? Like, I like, I don't know sometimes. Um, and I don't like not knowing. I like to know, you know, I, I, I feel like I got a good deck from the seat. Um, but I've had a couple of drafts where it's just been bad. Um, and despite that, I have been able to play some incredible, interesting, you know, slash interesting slash fun magic, um, even with my train wrecks. So I guess kudos to wizards, you know, somehow, despite this not being the best format ever, and I guess not every set can be the best format ever, um, you know, it's still a lot of fun and it's yeah. still very interesting and there's still a lot to explore. Like I don't have the format figured out and it seems from my Twitter feed that a lot of people don't either. So we, we've got a lot of exploring left to do in Ixalan for sure. I would say so. Can we just have our quick weekly segment on how awesome Explorer is, by the way? Yes, we can. Okay. So it's still good. It's still good. Every single, I have now cast every single card that says explore on it. I have cast all of them and they're all good. Even Even, the six drops. Even the six drops. Like I'm not taking those early. I'm not jamming five of them in a deck. Obviously the lower casting costs the better. That said, the five and six drops are still quite playable. Yeah. I was really hoping that would just be like, yeah, it's great. Let's go on. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's great. Let's go on. Let's great. Let's go on. Um. So given that we just spent like 15 minutes talking about tribes, um, do, what, do you have anything that, that like when you're drafting, cause you've done a lot of draft recently. So I feel like I can jam with you on this topic. Um, we, we talk about what's open. So colors and archetypes. So it's not just colors. It's also archetypes. It kind of feels to me like not really like cons, but it's like similar in that cons you were like, you know, what color is open and then what color combo, what, what, or what, um, uh, tribe am i in what clan am i clan. in clan that's the word that i was looking for um but it's like you could start green and then you could pivot into all sorts of different things after that um it kind of feels a little bit like that now like you can 
you know, draft blue, and then you have a few different directions you can go depending on what you see as, as being open. Um, do you feel like you know enough that you could talk about maybe the, some of the cards you look for in, in either a color or a tribe? Yeah, absolutely. Just, just to indicate that it's open? Well, to, to kind of see what's what might be open and what might be good. Mm-hmm. So, so like, you know, for example, so let's, let's just take like, you know, like what, what cards are you looking for? Like pick four, pack five, you know, if you're blue, for example, or if you're black, for example, I don't know where you want to start. Do you want to start with tribes or you want to start with colors? Uh, let's, let's, let's start with the tribes and actually talk through the tribes. Okay. So like, let's, let's go merfolk, right? So, okay. you know, your, your chat is pumping up. Hey, you got to draft a nut merfolk deck. You got to force merfolk. You got to force merfolk. You being the respectable drafter, you're like, I want to see that it's open. So you get fourth pick, fifth pick. What are some of the signposts? What are the, some of the cards you're looking for that says, you know, specifically blue green merfolk is open? I I I think that there are. I'm trying to remember the name of the card. There it is, Vine Shaper Mystic. This is a card that if I see about fifth pick, I'm ready to go ahead and edge in. It's two and a green for a one three. When it enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target merfolk that you control. So like if if this has made it through four other people and nobody's interested in this, it's probably time for us to start taking some merfolk and playing along with it. It's one of those cards, like you mentioned, that's absolutely fine on its own, right? Like I would play two and a green for a two, four all the time. We've seen that card in various places and that's what this is, but we get an extra counter if we have some other merfolk. And if you can curve, for example, like a deep root warrior or even the two one flyer in blue into this, it's it's quite a strong start for a merfolk deck. So I think Vine Shaper Mystic is is really a big one for me. And like ending up in green isn't particularly difficult. Um the the three drop explore creature is really good. Deep root warrior is really good. So these are all commons that I first picked. It's it's interesting. Like pounce is a card that I'll see that makes me think that maybe I should be going towards bigger stuff because it it kind of doesn't fit in the merfolk deck. I've played one, but you kind of have to accept that it's like a two mana shock most of the time and and not likely to kill anything bigger than that. I was Tashana's Wayfinder that I was thinking of as as the other kind of move into green. So I guess that's more of a color than a, a, a true tribe. But it, it is that mystic that really gets me excited about, okay, I want to see how many merfolk I can get in here mm-hmm. rather than just, okay, this is a good card. And then there's obviously the, the River Herald's boon. That's the two mana, one and a green for two plus one plus one counters if you have a merfolk. Only one if you don't. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, like that, that we've talked about that earlier in the podcast. I, th- I think that's a good one in green. And that's an example of one that you probably wouldn't play if you're straight green, obviously, um, or if you're green whiter, for example. Um, you You kind of need that, I want to say like eight or nine merfolk to make it kind of really good, I would say. And and if if it's not really good, it's like, why is it in your deck? Um, yeah. What about the river sneak? Is that, do you see that as a signpost or is that kind of something that you're not really too terribly interested in? It doesn't really seem like a Travis card to me. It, it's not. I took one early today and it ended up going in kind of a train wreck draft. Um, it, 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 like it being uncommon means that I'm not likely to get to pick this soon enough, right? Mm-hmm. For this to work out, I need to pick it early because it's uncommon. And then Merfolk needs to be open, right? So not only does blue need to be open, this particular direction for blue needs to be open. And like first picks are very valuable. I don't think maybe enough people recognize exactly how valuable they are. And that's why I'm I'm so likely to first pick a colorless card. Like you only get so many first picks. And if I pick River Snake, like there's already like what, a 20% chance I get to play it? 
and we're cutting that even lower because it's just it, like this just doesn't go in blue white or blue black or blue red like i just i can't play it in those decks so i'm kind of hedging myself in too quickly which essentially means i never get to play the river snake sneak now that said if i saw a card like the sixth pick and i've already got some blue and green merfolk heck yeah this is where the okay i picked you know uh a couple of deep root warriors i picked up a shaper apprentice and now this yeah let's let's get on board Mm -hmm. so not necessarily a sign but you'll take it as a sign if you're already in the merfolk or you have that potential to go yeah, and if it's passed through, you know, five or six hands and nobody's taken it, then it, it, it could be a sign that that deck is open because somebody should have grabbed it by then. Mm-hmm. Like, it's you're not going to have to twist my arm very hard if I start with a good blue merfolk. Um, let's say it's a weak pack and I just take a wiretap weaver and then another, you know, relatively weak pack. And I'm like, I oh, will take a shaper apprentice. At that point, I'd probably third pick it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what about Shaper Apprentice? So, like, obviously that's not, like, a merfolk tribal payoff. Um, however, it's just a very good card in those colors. Do you see that as a sign to say, like, you should be blue-green, not necessarily merfolk, but blue-green in general? Like, are you picking that card early? I don't know that I'm picking it super early. I, I have not first picked one yet, but I think I've third third picked them already just because there's not super super deep like powerful cards here and you can get some kind of bum packs um it it usually has flying in a blue green deck even if you're not trying particularly hard to get merfolk and like against the pirate decks you're going to trade it off anyway so it kind of doesn't matter whether it has flying or not i found the card to be quite serviceable Mm -hmm. what about what about the uh the i'm trying to think of the name of here the three drop the in blue and green the one that puts plus one, plus one counters on things and draws cards. Oh, yeah, that guy's fantastic. I first picked one of those today. So Would first pick another one. I lost a draft to one today, won a draft with one today. Shapers of Nature. That's like, the one that I'm thinking of. Yep. That card is powerful enough that we will first pick it. We will try to play it. We will try to splash it. And like th- this is weird. Like A lot of the cards we mentioned earlier get better with other merfolk. This one doesn't care. It's just like, can you produce green and blue mana? It's relatively easy to splash one of the sides. The green side, if you're in in pirates, and the the blue side, if you're in green, you do need to be able to repeatedly activate it, right? So that's an actual cost. But it, as long as you can consistently produce green mana, like if you can, like the ability to remove counters and draw cards is far less valuable than the ability to add counters onto your creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously, Merfolk, like the the payoff card is is like the big payoff card is anything that says, you know, your creatures have unblockable um, with plus one, plus one counter. So obviously that's just the one card. Um, but there's I, really no the other Herald of secret streams. Is that one? And like, is that the one or is this, the, the, the Tempest caller is the tap one as well, but those, that one doesn't need to be merfolk, right? That just goes in kind of blue based attacking deck. Yeah. Yeah. So the Herald of secret streams. So like, well, not necessary, you know, that's the kind of, would you speculate on that first pick? That guy, probably not. Tempest Caller, I do like a good bit and will take a, a little earlier because it just like it just closes a game if, if you're at a board stall. And I found a lot of board stalls in this format. You know, the more we talk about this, the more that I, I feel like um, the you should be looking for these synergies in, in or the, the payoff cards in packs two and pack three. And like, you know, we said we mentioned this earlier, like maybe just pack one should just be focused on building your base, you know, finding a color that that it is open 
um, and then looking for those payoff cards to sneak through. And then if you open a payoff card in pack two, that maybe that is the time to say like, hey, like we're going to go here. We're going to stake our claim on this on this tribe. Just, just look for a fourth pick removal spell. It doesn't matter what it is. And then mm-hmm. that's the color you should probably start thinking about. Mm-hmm. So we did, you talked about cards that, that point you to green, um, at least on the merfolk side of things. So like on the blue side of things. So some cards that like I really like blue. Uh, all of my draft wins have been with blue so far. Um, so like merfolk aside, like some cards that I look for in blue that just say that like, Hey, blue is open. It doesn't matter what tribe, um, anything that has uh flying and a plus one, plus one counter on it. So there's the one, two with raid. Uh, and then there's the one to explore for three mana. Those guys are huge. Yeah. I don't see them anymore. People are picking those way, way too early. Uh, well, not way too early, but too early for my liking because I never get them passed. Um, um, Siren Lookout and, and Stormfleet Storm Aerialist. Stormfleet Aerialist. Okay. There's lots of Storm Blank whatevers in this wow. format. Yeah. Um, we need some more creative names for, I guess, I mean, I guess it's all just tribe related. The um, one card that I really look forward to getting, and I know that I'll always get one, um, doesn't necessarily mean that it's open, but I definitely look to pick these up as Runner Ground. Oh, yeah, that's great. Run, Runner Guard is... is is a stupid card um and i've been playing two in a lot of my blue base decks and having a lot of success with them um i will play multiple bounce spells of other varieties as well because i don't get the removal base in in blue that i would like to have um and sometimes you just got to tempo your opponents out but like uh run of grounds i look for, the, for those specifically and then the um the two two merfolk the frost links those kind of usually indicate to me that like blue is probably open if i'm seeing those you know fourth fifth fifth pick i think um i think those should be picked higher than they than they are if they're not if they're not getting picked before basically they come to be at pick five i also think it's important to to keep in mind that run aground is in a separate category from other bounce spells mm-hmm. because the card doesn't go back to their hand it goes on top of their library you're not down a card when you cast it so run aground effects i can play as many as i want and feel pretty good about it understanding that it's four mana Whereas like any of the other bounce spells, like all I'm getting is tempo. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're playing blue, I think tempo is the key. I think that's how you win as blue in most decks is tempo. So, um, you know, flavor slash flyers. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I'm counting flyers as kind of tempo in this because you're, you're, you're like, you're trying to get damage through without your opponent being able to do anything about it. So that's where the weavers, the, the frost links comes in, you know, run aground comes in, um, Run run aground also has the ability to get you free wins when you're uh when your opponent basically has nothing. Uh, you know, they have one creature on board, you put it on top, you swing for four, they draw the same creature, and they they can't draw anything. If they don't already have an answer in hand, they can't draw an answer for uh for your play. So um I do yeah. like the free wins off run aground. I draft yeah, that if you, very high. If you can get ahead, it's it's very difficult for your opponent to catch up. How good does it feel, by the way? Do you ever feel bad when your opponent's stuck on land and you play a turn four run aground to bounce their two drop and put it on top of their deck and hit them for four? You saw me do that on stream today? I did it last night on stream. Oh, okay. It's yeah, so, it feels great. It's it feels so, so good. Stupid. It's it's dumb. It's yeah, it's dumb. Anyway. Um, so let's so carry on. So now black. So let's let's maybe talk about pirates. So um Pirates Cutlass aside, because I think a, a lot of people are picking Pirates Cutlass to go in a lot of different decks because it's colorless. Um, and sometimes you end up with a random pirate, but otherwise it's a fine equipment to equip. Makes your hill giants into actual threats. Um, what are some other cards that you're looking for if you're in specifically pirates? 
In the rare slot, I'm very interested in Fell Flagship, um, giving all of my pirates plus one, plus O, oh, and then giving me kind of an interesting threat as, as a vehicle. Like, I've opened Fell Flagship in sealed pools where I didn't have enough pirates to play it. Uh, this is a three-mana vehicle. It's a 3-3. Three, three. Pirates you control get plus one, plus O. Oh. Crew three, whenever it deals damage to a combat player, that player discards a card. So on its own, I'm kind of turning a hill giant into another hill giant that can make my opponent discard a card. That's not all that great. But if I've got a bunch of pirates, I can play this as an anthem, which is pretty neat, and then pseudo give other pirates haste, even two power ones, because they'll be able to crew it with the bonus here. So like it's it's a card that's kind of not playable at all if you don't have pirates. But then if you have a preponderance of pirates, all of a sudden it turns quite good because it's buffing your whole team. So th that's a card that I'm really looking for if if I'm in pirates. Now, it's a rare, so I'm not going to see it that much. But a lot of the payoffs for this are at uncommon and rare. So I, I think that's one of my number one ones. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of like the uh, the blue-black uncommon. What's that? Deadeye Plunderers? Oh, yeah. Those are great. I mean, it, it doesn't have, you know, if you control pirates stamped directly on it, but... There are a lot of pirate cards that just come with incidental treasure, um, which which just naturally power the the Dead Eye Plunderers up. So I look for that one, but I think that one gets picked uh, picked very highly as well. I'm having trouble coming up with any other pirate payoffs. Uh, the Menace Creature in red is actually pretty good as long as you want to be attacking, mm -hmm. which I think is certainly something that that wants to be doing. It's Headstrong Brute, two in red for a 3-3 three, three camp block. It has Menace as long as you control another pirate. I mean, we've said this uh, several times now, but this is a format of hill giants. So a hill giant that you can play a turn earlier is a big deal. Giving it menace plays very well with the combat drag sure strike. And those are super easy to pick up. So if I can just get some pirates and staple them on that guy, it's great. We've talked some about lightning rig crew and in the uncommon slot. Like I've played that card in a deck with no other pirates and it was good. Mm -hmm. I've played in a deck with lots of other pirates and it was great. So, like, there's one of your payoffs there. Yeah. But, like, yeah. No, I totally blanked on red. It's like, oh, yeah, Grix's colors are pirates, right? That's the the three, the two, three, two, three tribal synergy com color combos. Yeah, it's messing weird. With, messing with my head. Um, What about the two, three, and black for the, the two drop? Do you, do you like that one? The one that can't attack unless you have an artifact? I have yet to play that card. Mm -hmm. I have seen, I have had people cast it against me. And, like... Even when you do, like, I've seen people cast it and then cast a Pirate's Cutlass. That's the dream. That's the dream, and it's scary, and it's 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 really cool, and it's 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 a real thing at that point. It's not super functionally different from a two-drop Pirate getting the Cutlass, right? Because most of the time I just can't interact with it anyway. Like, I just, I don't particularly like the card. I, I get it. It's a neat design. It's a cool design. That's not a card that I'm interested in, in going into Pirates for because it's like not only does black have to be open and pirates have to be open. I also have to get some artifacts. And I'm like, that's just that's just too many hoops for me to jump through. Mm -hmm. okay. I, I think black has some really good, uh, like unconditional removal. Mm -hmm. And the way that you end up in black X pirates is you pick a couple removal spells and then you start picking up some pirates and you're good to go. Dire Fleet Interloper is a, another fair one. That's the four mana explore menace pirate. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a 2-2. Two, two. Mm -hmm. Like, I've been relatively happy with that card on its own. Um, that, that's more of a sign that, that you should be black, and it, the pirate is almost, like, secondary. Yeah, right. but it does play nicely with other pirate cards. It does. It does. Um, what's your take on, uh, what's it, Siren's Ruse, where if you, you blink a creature you control, and if it's a pirate, you draw a card? 
Have you been, been playing that card? Yeah, I've been relatively happy playing this in most blue decks because most blue decks are going to have a pirate or two to begin with. Like, I have already blinked a siren lookout, drawn a card, and re-explored, which is a pretty good feeling. It's also particularly good at knocking off enchantment-based removal, and you can use it as like a counterspell to your opponent's combat trick. So like, there's enough here if I've got six or seven pirates that I'm probably going to play it. And if I've got more than that, I start to become actively interested in it. I think you don't just need... I think you need some kind of enter the battlefield effects for those, right? Like, you're probably not playing it if, if none of your cards had... If they were all pirates and none of them had enter the battlefield effects, are you still going to play it there? Or do you think that's a bit of a, a risky... I'll still play it. Because it, at, at that point, I can block happily and not worry about whether or not you have a combat trick. I can attack in and not worry about whether or not you have, you know, various flash creatures. Like... I've gotten super spider sense now. I can not only tell when they pass with five mana up that they have something. I can tell you what it is. Like, okay, this is the four four dinosaur that they're going to flash in. This is the three three flying creature that they're going to flash in. This is the you know five mana next snap variant that they're going to use here. Like, you can start to get a sense for these things, and this is just a, a good response to any of that. If you happen to have a pirate, it also kind of wrecks something like uh, enchantment based removal. Like, we don't have any of that in blue this time around, but we do have it in white. Um, so I, I don't think this is a card you need to go nuts over, but I've I've picked it up, you know, around, I don't know, ninth pick or something after the packs are starting to dry up a little bit. Mm. It's made its way into a couple decks, and I think it's worth a spot. You can also just sometimes cycle it for two mana and be relatively happy with it. Like, give one of your dudes surprise vigilance, draw a card. That's not bad. Yeah, it plays really well with the Frost Links. Yeah, it plays well with that. Uh, it... Playing it with treasure pirates is kind of neat. You can get more treasure and draw a card and then cast the card with the treasure. It, the possibilities are endless. They as, are. They are. As long as you have pirates to blink. Yar. Yar. Um, do you want to do dinosaurs or merfolk? Now? Or uh, merfolk. Uh, vampires next. Your call. You're the boss today. Let's do vampires then. All right. So the the I think one of the cards that... that I look for as a signpost is um, obviously the 4-4 flyer. Um, I think that's one of your big vampire payoffs. And if you ever see that, um, I I think that that is a sign. It's not like the best pirate payoff, but I think that it's good enough. Vampire payoff? Yes. What did I say? Pirate payoff. Oh, did I say pirate payoff? I meant vampire payoff. Um, That it's, 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 it's a good enough card on its own that it's like, hey, you should probably just be black. Um, cause you're probably going to have random vampires in your black deck. Uh, but that is a specific reason to take it and, and shift into vampires, I think. So you're talking about deathless ancient, the six mana four, four flyer in black that you can tap three vampires to return it to your hand. Yeah. That's the one I'm talking about. There's also a five mana four, four flyer glorifier of dusk. It asks for a, a different form of payment. You've got to give, pay some life to give it flying or some life to give it vigilance. But either of those are, are pretty clear indicators that Vampire specifically is open. The, the challenge here is like this is one of the tribal decks that's a little harder to put together and a little harder to recognize the payoffs on because they're in two colors that just have really good removal and really strong creatures anyway, right? So I'm, I'm not going to shake my fist at an Emissary of Sunrise or a um, Pious Interdiction in white, regardless of what I'm doing. Um, same with the Territorial Hammer Skull. Like, these cards are just good, and you're going to pick them. So, like, early on in the draft, even if I think I'm going to be black-white, 
I'm probably still taking those hammer skulls and I'm probably still taking those pious interdictions over some of the vampires. And I'll let that sort itself out later because if black and white are open, you're going to end up with some vampires anyway. Same thing with the removal suite in black. Like I don't want my deck to have 500 contract killings and dark nourishments, but those are the cards I'm going to start out with. And then I'll look to fill my curve uh, with, with vampires. And then if I can pick up a, a high synergy card, yeah, I'm all about it. Can we talk about Mark of the Vampire for a moment and like how that's just a good card now? Yeah. Okay. So let's let's tangent here a little bit. So Mark of the Vampire and One with the Wind, I yeah. think, are both kind of in that category of we don't normally think that these cards are good, but for some reason, a lot of people are saying that they are good, and for some reason, they are good. They are good. Um, I didn't have any luck with One with the Wind. Last night when I played it, I had two in my deck. Uh, although there was a game when I put it on a 4-3, uh, the 4-3-2 drop, and that game was over very quickly. Um, it just steals wins. Like, these cards can just steal wins out of nowhere. We talk about building your own bomb. That is a way to do it. Yeah. Either of these cards. And I don't think I'm playing them early. Like, forget drafting them. If I, if I have them in my deck because somebody just put them there. I don't think I'm playing them early when my opponent has a bunch of cards in hand, but I am certainly playing them late when when I need something bomby to win the game. Um, you know, like unless I'm feeling super, you know, gambly, putting a putting one with the wind, giving it flying on a on a four three two drop, you know, giving it flying and hitting for six on turn three, you know, doesn't really appeal to me. But if my opponent's in ten and they have one card left in hand, oh boy, like you, I'm suiting that thing up and hitting you for six, and you better have an answer for it next turn. Um, yeah, in a format where there aren't a lot of cards that can swing the game out of nowhere, these things are pretty good. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the decks are interested in racing. Pirates are kind of interested in racing. Vampires are kind of interested in racing. Merfolk are kind of interested in racing. Now, Merfolk also come with a lot of bounce spells, which makes these auras a little less appealing than they might be. But if you're careful about when you resolve Mark of the Vampire, you can also often get enough value out of it that you kind of don't care if they bounce your guy afterwards. Like if I'm able to connect for, you know, six points of lifelink, you bouncing it later isn't really putting me down that much of a card because I can still replay the creature and get some value there. Like it, it can undo a lot of work. Um, so I, I'm not telling you to pick Mark of the Vampire one with the wind early, but these cards are quite playable. And I, I agree with what Dave said. Usually I'm going to be cautious about when to play them. But sometimes you you can kind of go for gold and get people with them. I had an opponent play two swashbuckling on a 3-3 menace and kill me with it. Like, there's just nothing I could do about it. I wasn't excited or happy, but, I mean, like, that that's just kind of the state of removal these days. I've seen some people saying that there's a red-black super aggro draft deck going around. I've yet to run into it in a way that, or in an incarnation that was able to defeat me. Um, but I have been very nervous about playing it in the past have you seen anything like that speaking of swashbuckling i've probably played 60 drafts at this point and i've not seen this deck okay so maybe it's not really a thing well maybe it's a thing that comes together every once in a while like i've had good red black decks i wouldn't describe them as hyper aggro i'd just say they were pretty good they happen yeah. to have some menace pirates and some good removal spells no i'm talking about the one that goes like va vampire conquistador or whatever it is the one two i've seen that guy do work in a vampire deck yeah, I actually I have I have lost to that card like it, it's weird. I can't imagine a one mana one two actually being good, uh, but it, it, it is in that deck if you're just looking for enough vampires. Yeah. Um, What else are you looking for in vampires? Like 
did the, the token makers kind of interest you? Like, so let's let's look at the uh, the the gold card, the the four the four mana, two and two, two and a black and a white for uh, three one one vampire tokens. Like, is that a card? If you're just if you're just black white cards, are you interested in that card, or do you specifically need like like uh, you, you, are you specifically looking for either vampires to get a payoff? Uh, or the lifelink to to get your payoff on the on the four mana or the five mana four four flying vigilance guy, for example. I mean, I think I'd probably just play that in a black white deck anyway. If, if it's a format of hill giants, like it's going to make it better for blocking and worse for attacking. But that's kind of neutral on the card. I haven't actually played the the two mana like in sixty drafts. I have not yet cast the the three mana spell that produces two tokens. I just would always rather have the Bloodstained Paladin over it, and it feels like I can get one of them. So people are, I guess, taking them earlier than me, but like, that's a Scathe Zombie worth of stats in a format of Hill Giants. I'm not quite as interested in that, whereas a Call to the Feast gives me that, and the Paladin of the Bloodstained gives me a Hill Giant and a Buddy. Yeah. Which do you take higher, than the Paladin or the, the Call to the Feast or Call to the Feast? That, that's what I it's mean, called, right? If I'm a hundred percent in black white vampires, yeah. Let's say it's pack three, like pick two, pack three, and you're black white vampires. Do I have like I, I'm going to have to look at the deck list at that okay. point? No, but like so, so it's it's more situational, right? So like, yeah, I think so. Then I guess if you know you're black white in a vacuum, like I'd probably rather have the paladin. You probably rather have the paladin because it's that extra point of power. Like the three, the three power, like the three two body is pretty relevant. I think most of the time, right? Yeah, if, if you're defending, it can trade for their 3-3. Three, three. If you're attacking, it's going to trade for a 2-2. Two, two. Like, I've also found that 3-4s are just kind of godlike in this format. The fact that our giant spider variants, a 3-4 and a dinosaur is kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, the more, the more that we're talking about this, the more that I wish that um, I had made, like, a column on a piece of paper with, like, or, like, for each color and had, like, like safe picks that have potential tribal, you know, like, like, you know, for example, I'm thinking of like in black, the the two two flying vampire that drains your opponent. Like solid card happens to be a vampire, but it's like it's a really good card to pick up if you, if you think you're black, and then you might get those extra random synergies at the end. And I wish I would have made like a list of like all of them in every single color. You know, we talk about building that that solid creature base and that solid removal base. Um, you know, just like one or two of these cards in each color, I think would have been would have been handy for me to have to look down here and reference and say like, hey, like you know take these cards because they're good cards. And then you might just end up with tribal synergy. I think we're calling them out, man. Like maybe we're just getting them all. I I honestly think that we are right. Like the, the territorial hammer skull and the paladin of the bloodstained are just great creatures in any white deck. The deep root warrior is just a great creature in any green deck. Um, as, as far as the blue creatures go, I think we're pretty happy with the frost links variant. Mm -hmm. Um, what was that called again? I like uh, these names when I can. Water Weaver. Tap Weaver. Yeah. yeah, like that's just a good creature for, for any deck that you happen to be in. Yeah. We've mentioned some of the ones here. And then I honestly think that 3-3 Menace creature is just decent in red. Although I'm always scared of it because I'm thinking, well, what if I need to block? But you need to build a deck in a way that it, it doesn't need to block. And I've even found the Fathom Fleet Firebrand. I'm going off topic a little bit here, but the two drop in red that you can give fire breathing to, mm-hmm. I think it's just great. If you need to trade it for a hill giant, you can do that. In a format where things can actually die in combat, cough, yeah. gods, cough. Um, yeah. It trades with anything <laughs> at any point in the game, right? It can. I've traded off for big stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that leaves us dinosaurs. And actually, I'm kind of glad we left it for last because I think 
dinosaurs out of the synergy style decks there's not a ton of synergy here there's some cute interactions in ways that you can enrage your own creatures for value but there's just not enough cards that actually have enrage for that to matter a great deal I mean, dinosaurs as a tribe have the things going for them that they're just bigger than the other creatures, which makes the fight spells better for them. So, like, I think green is going to be your base color if you're dinosaurs. I have seen red-white aggressive dinosaur decks as well, so I'm not ruling that out. And then I've seen full-on Naya dinosaur decks. But the, the, the reason I like green so much is the merfolk decks are not picking pounce highly. So it's going to give you access to a, a, a very good removal spell for you that one of the other green drafters at the table is is kind of not super interested in. Yeah, I, I think I guess the payoff in dinosaurs is the there's the green one that pumps your team. Yeah, for seven a low low cost of seven mana. Um, the the mana dorks, which are you just pick anyway if you're in green, or even if you're yeah. not, like pick one, pack one, and the the two drop mana dork. Um, like those are your signposts in green, I think, for dinosaurs. Although you just play the green one by itself, right? You'd play it in a green white pile of cards, assuming you could mm-hmm. get to seven mana. Um, the other big payoff is there's a six mana six six trample at common. Yeah, that that is. And then there's two common ramp spells. So you want to talk about a format of hill giants? Play a dread maw and watch your opponent shake. <laughs> um, so maybe your maybe the payoffs are the ramp cards right there's the one in red there's the one in green there's the one in white ramp specifically for dinos um and then you're just trying to go big as fast as possible so do you see like i don't really see the exali's keeper i don't remember what the red one's called but that's the white one i don't see those as signs that that dinosaurs like white dinosaurs are open kind of thing do you it's Atapek hunt master no i'm not really looking for those although i have already played them they, they turned out not to be something I was super interested in. The challenge is the white dinosaurs, if I'm ever pairing with white, they're actually very aggressive. I end up playing Raptors Companions and Hammer Skulls. Those guys are best friends. And then like Shining Aerosaurs as finishers. So like when I'm getting into white, it's not usually ramping out other big things that I'm, I'm interested in. It's usually trying to kill my opponent quickly. I've still found white to pair nicely with green. And you can have a couple of the, the six sixes at, at your top end. But generally speaking, you're looking to kill your opponent by attacking relatively quickly when you're playing white. It's the red-green one I found that wants to go a little bit bigger. And I'm I'm pretty happy doing that there. You still get the knights as like decent-sized two-drops that can still... Like, usually what you're doing with these is trying to trade it with your opponents too. But it's neat that late game they can still attack and do something. I still think I prefer the firebrand, even in my dinosaur decks there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, okay. I, I think ramp is part of the green strategy. It's it's really like there's two different dinosaur decks, right? Like what you pair with green and what you pair with white kind of make different ones. And then white's sort of a hybrid in between them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Savage Stomp. I think this is an interesting one because like any green deck is taking Savage Stomp. You don't need to be dinosaurs for it. So like I find it interesting where you say like pounce is more of an indication that, you know, maybe the green dinosaurs are open because it's not really a merfolk card. You can play it, but you're right. You want your six sixes to be pouncing on things, not necessarily your three threes. So that's that's interesting how that's kind of flipped around. Like if I'm a Merfolk deck, you know, pick one, pack two. I'm taking a Savage Stomp for sure. Yeah, because it lets your two two kill their their two two exactly right. And, and I don't and I don't care. Right? We played Hunt the Week for four mana, 
and this is just better than that without having the dinosaur payoff, right? So yeah. um, I kind of almost wish it was three mana fight, put a plus one, plus one counter if it's a dinosaur. Yeah. That would have been way more interesting from like a tribal payoff perspective. And then I feel like the tribal, the, 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 the green dinosaurs deck would have seen those cards a little more frequently. I still feel like all of the other decks are looking to put together creatures to kind of build their own bomb. Whereas green, you have them. It's just try not to get run over and like stabilize so that you can play them and then win with them because there's, there's plenty of aggressive decks there. And like, I don't think it's a format where you can just casually play three, six drops and be like, yeah, it's fine. It's no big deal. Like I had a deck today. It ended up being another famous Travis two one, but I had two of the seven drop dinosaurs that fart out more dinosaurs. Right. And like, I didn't just put them in a deck. We also had two drovers of the mighty and a land before time to be able to ramp these out. So the, the deck was nearly what's that 20 mana sources. Like I, I I was I was giving up some equity to make sure that we could play those because they were absurd when I was able to untap with them. Mm-hmm. Um, have you lived the dream and dual shot two of your enraged creatures to get some amazing value? Uh, that's kind of a really boring dream. No, I have not lived that because it means that I have to be playing some mediocre enraged creatures because there's not enough good ones to just jam them in there and I've got to be main decking dual shot. So no, I, I have yet to do that. Oh, are you not main decking dual shot? No. Interesting. Okay. I think there's a lot of X ones, but there's probably not enough to be main decking it. I think the dream for me, like when we were doing the set preview was, um, the ramp creature, the, the, the two, three ramp dino, um, ranging raptors, ranging raptors, um, or the white one, um, the bellowing ages, or is that the one? That's the one. Yeah. The white one that gives plus one plus ones. Uh, I, I still do dream of dual shotting those guys in combat or dual shotting the ranging raptors on like, turn three just to ramp out stuff i don't even know like that's really as far as you can go you're right it's not much of a dream but um but i know that i talked about that originally and it was like maybe that'll be a thing and it turns out it's not um archers are pretty good though for that so like i guess putting the archer is a green card that you put in your random dinosaur deck and you'd probably be okay with that just randomly gaining a few life off in rage or or shooting a one one so there's an example of a of an okay green card that you can pick up and maybe get some payoffs later and look for other like wonky combos with it. I happen to have an archer in play with a uh, Mark the Vampire on it. Ooh. Drew my other archer with no targets. It's like, you know what? Why not just gain three? That's that's interesting. That's cheeky right there. Mostly yeah. because you were playing black, uh, green black. But that's, Can you that's guess still... why I was playing green black? Vraska. Yep, I opened Vraska. That's why you play green black. There's really no other reason to play green black, right? There kind of is if you pick up a bunch of the explore cards early in each of the colors and then get past chupacabras and the one three that grows when you you explore like it's it's very difficult to put that together but i can imagine a deck where you're interested in that uh it's wild growth walker because like i've i've seen a deck that was playing wild growth walker and then did explore three times in a row and like it's super threatening and terrifying um and and i think chupacabra is a real card but uh, and i played it today in a deck that had like two explore cards and it wasn't very good who'd have guessed I think Chupacabra goes better in a blue-black deck than it does in a black-green deck. I think it goes better in any deck that can consistently explore. Well, but that's what I mean, right? Where you're, where um, it feels like almost like a complementary piece in your pirate deck that has like the one-two explore, the 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 three mana flying explore, the menace explore. You know what I mean? Like, and you get this, you get a Chupacabra and pack three, and you're like, well, I mean, 
if we get one or two activations off of it, it's probably a great card. Um, and even just one activation is probably good. Um, the, the green one is interesting too, because I think like it can obviously go in the green blue deck very well, um, because of like just lots of explore just in green in general. Um, and that one I think is easier to feel good about. I think if you get one activation off that, I think you're probably pretty okay with it because it's a two drop, right? Yeah. I, I still would just argue like people poop on green black a lot and I, I don't think it quite deserves it. Um, I still think good green, good black removal spells and good green creatures will get you somewhere. Oh, for like, sure. It's, it's not like you have super synergy in green, red dinosaurs. There's a few payoff cards. Sure. Your thrash of Raptors get a little bit better, but for the most part, you're playing red because you got some red removal spells and you're playing green because you got some good green creatures. So don't overlook those outside of the tribes pairs. I, I think they're still certainly viable. Um, my green black deck today did not go particularly well, but I have one with blue white skies decks. Um, so I, I think these are things that you shouldn't be doing very often, but if, if, you know, blue and white are the colors that are open, go ahead and go for it. You may end up with some accidental synergy where you have a, a few dinosaurs in white and a few of the pterodactyl knights in white, like that's not a, a crazy thing. Um, I, I do think that you get more likely to build your own bombs by going tribal, but I wouldn't be afraid to look out of that. Whereas like if we're drafting return to Ravnica, for example, I tell you, no, don't go for Orsov. That's not a deck. Just, you know, go into these color pairs. And I don't think it's quite that strict here. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm still, I, I feel like I'm still confused in the format. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, it's, it's an interesting format. It's like super deep. Um, and, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll draw a little picture of my visioning here when I mentioned that like there's the the tribe and how powerful that you are within each tribe and then how kind of the the piles of cards compare to that. I think it's I think it's on an entirely other spectrum. So um it's an interesting format. Definitely yeah, I, go ahead. I I was gonna say I would still just wrap us up with those ideas of trying to pick those cards that are just good in their color and they get played in multiple archetypes. So I'll, I'll wrap us up with something like Tashana's Wayfinder. Two and a green for a 2-2 Merfolk Explorer. It does say Merfolk on it. That's great. But the card's just good. You'd play a Skate Zombie that drew you a card, and you'd play a Hill Giant that let you scry for, for three. Like, it, it's just good. And you can play it in any color pair, and you're going to be happy with it. So try to pick those things early over something like River Herald's Boon, which is another good green card. And in a Merfolk deck... Maybe if you've got enough Merfolk, you would actually pick that over the Wayfinder. But like early in the draft, you don't quite know what you're doing yet. So go for the most flexible cards. Yeah. Yeah. There's I think there's two phases to this draft or to this draft format. One is, like I said, solidifying your your base. And then phase two is getting those synergies. Um, yeah. Phase three is clearly profit. I mean, but that's that's winning the game. Yeah. And then earning those packs. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's how I do. Do you want to wrap it up with a quick pick one, pack one? Yes. Pick one, pack one me. All right. This was a challenging one from stream last night for me. So I'm going to read off most of the cards here because I had no clear winner in this pack. And I'm curious what you would take. So we've got, this is pack one. We've got Boneyard Parlay, which is the seven mana black sorcery, five black black, um, which is like what that factor fiction, but for graveyards. We call it craptor cryption. (laughs) Craptor. Craptor Cryption, I like it. Yes. Um, so that's the one where you take five, five creature cards from graveyards. Your opponent makes two piles, and you get to keep one. Put it into play. Put them all into play. Uh, Marauding Looter, which is the two red blue 
for a 4-3 with raid, and the raid is loot in your end step. Perilous Voyage, which is the two-mana bounce spell. Uh, scry 2 sometimes. We've got uh, Mark of the Vampire. One with the Wind. Pterodon Knight. That's the 3-3 Flyer sometimes in white. And Water Trap Weaver, which is the Frost Links in the format. So that's a lot of cards. And the reason is, is because I don't think there's a clear pick. Yeah, I think I could make a case for the Weaver, the Looting Pirate, and the Boneyard Parlay. Boneyard Parlay is a unique effect. We're also not passing any more black. It does ask that you kind of be ramping. So it's it's sort of like it's a... Like, I don't think you can just slam random seven drops in a deck, but you can play it with pirates who are ramping you out treasure, or you can play it in green-black where you're kind of ramping naturally anyway. So I, I do think it's a unique effect, and it's a way to get card advantage, and there's not a lot of that floating around in this format. And I also don't feel super bad abandoning it if black's just not open. Like, well, well all right, we don't have to play it. The looty pirate is a very strong effect if you are in blue-red. And I don't think it's super difficult to get into blue-red. Um, the the one-two explore uh, siren pirate is already quite good there and gives me like an incentive to be drafting pirate shenanigans anyway. I also like that on this effect, you don't have to attack with it, just have to attack that turn. Mm -hmm. So you can attack with all your mana up. Maybe your opponent's like, well, I don't want to trade my guy for a combat trick. And then after it, play this. Whether or not you had the combat trick, you still forced in damage. Right. So the best part is they don't play, you know, they play around a combat trick. You play this and then they're like, oh, well, I'm they just attack to enable raid. I'll block it this time. And then you actually have the trick. Like I've seen that do well. And then I don't mind the the, the tapper like the tapper still goes in a blue red deck. It can go in a blue black deck. It can go in any blue deck. I think I'd eventually settle on um, probably the pirate. It's a nice assertive stat base. If I happen to get into those colors, I'm pretty happy about it. And if I don't, I don't mind abandoning it. There is some value in first picking a card that can go in multiple archetypes. But I think that one's strong enough that I'm willing to hedge a little bit and say, oh, let's see if pirates are open. But again, I'd probably take it and put it right in the sideboard and then just make the next picks accordingly. If you took the looter and you ended up blue-black, would you splash it if you had enough treasure? Probably, right? Probably... It depends on how much treasure I've got and what else I'm using it for. Like, am I a 16 land treasure deck? Because I just don't need that much. Mm -hmm. um, but prob probably. Okay. Because, I mean, obviously, if it's splashable, it's easier. To, it's an easier first pick, right? And we talked about that mm -hmm. before. The more splashable yeah. cards. Um, I ended up on the Weaver, mostly because it was one color. Um, and I just think blue is just amazing in this format. Um, I think I ended up with three Weavers in the deck. So it, it, I ended up playing my first pick, but the de the draft itself was an absolute train wreck. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down the rest of that. I'm just curious about um, kind of where you settled on Boneyard Parlay uh, versus these other couple of cards in, in particular. So you mentioned that Boneyard Parlay was something you're ramping to, or like you're looking to ramp to. Is it really something you're looking to ramp to? Like you're not, you're not playing it on curve most of the time, right? I think you want to wait till the graveyards are full, don't you? Yeah, ideally what's happening with that card is you're top decking it late game, right? Mm -hmm. But you, you do need to have some sort of game plan that's going to expect for you to be able to resolve a seven drop in your deck and have it be impactful. Right, so right? less ramp and more just making sure that you have seven mana available when you need it. Yeah, yeah. which I, I can do by playing pirates that produce treasure and trading them off. Mm -hmm. Like that accomplishes both things, filling up the graveyard and ramping me towards it. So it'd make me prioritize the piker in black that dies into a treasure a little bit higher than I might normally. I have played with the card Boneyard Parlay already, 
And it, it's very good if you can cast it. But that, that's the thing. There's decks that'll run you over. So it's almost like a build-around sideboard card, mm-hmm. which is weird. But like if your opponent's playing red-white um, or even vampires at times, you basically anything that can have a hammer skull in it, you, you can't pl- actually play this card. Right. Okay. That's fair. Well, I think that wraps it up this week for us. This okay, good- I have to say that episode didn't suck. No, it certainly didn't. <laughs> See, that's a pun because of vampires. We went all the way around full circle back to the start. Yeah. Okay. Um, homework this week. I would like to propose that um, people first pick or first, let's say first, second pick. Go out of your way to first and second pick. Um, just cards that go in multiple archetypes, just solid cards. So like your contract killings, you know, your lightning strikes, things, things that you will play regardless of archetype really focus on that i think this week um and maybe take some screenshots of maybe cards that you passed that were you know tribal specific um for kind of the more generic cards i think Uh, i think that'd be a good exercise if you don't don't already do that yeah and i'd argue too not just over the removal right because the removal like people kind of already have that in their head that's easy yeah that one's an easy one so if we're going to give homework let's make it an actual difficult assignment right like I want to see you picking something like a Paladin of the Bloodstained over a Synergistic Vampire card, pack one, pick one. Because you're like, you know what? I can put this in my green-white dinosaur deck, and it's going to be good. Because mm. it will be. Yeah. Don't don't pass the bomby ones, though. Like, be realistic. Yeah, yeah. Don't be an idiot. But do your homework. <laughs> but do your homework. All right. Well, that's, like I said, that's going to wrap us up this week. So thanks once again to face-to-face games and mana deprived for the host and uh, all the support they give us. And uh, are you still streaming this week? You're, you're back to, to full time for the next couple of next future, I guess the foreseeable future. Yep. Foreseeable future. Until we get to honeymoon time, I will be streaming um, Sunday through every day, but Saturday, every day, but what is that? six days a week. Six days a week. That's that's how I roll. It's at twitch.tv slash simulan. You can also find me on Twitter under the same name. Outstanding. And I am on dcivilian. Uh, that's twitch.tv slash dcivilian. And Twitter is the same. You can probably catch me streaming right up until I go to Vegas. So two weeks. Huzzah. High Roller Dave. Oh, man. It's going to be great not having to talk to you that week. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> All right. Outstanding. So once again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye.